0: Hello and welcome to Ipsa Dixit, the podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Louis Rosen, reference librarian and Associate Professor of Law Library at Barry University, Dwayne O. Andreas School of Law. We will discuss his article, The Lawyer as Superhero, How Marvel Comics Daredevil Depicts the American Court System and Legal Practice, which was published in the Capital University Law Review. So welcome to the show, Louis.
1: Uh, thank you so much for having me, Brian. This is really exciting, okay, so I totally
0: love everything about this article, and I gotta say, as I was saying to you earlier, I'm so excited that I got like to talk about both Dungeons and Dragons and comic books this week um and i I especially love the Daredevil character and have been so happy to see the sort of renewed level of interest in in that character. But for listeners who to their loss, may not yet be fully familiar with with Daredevil. C- can you explain a little about a little bit about who is Daredevil and what makes him unique as a character?
1: Yes, uh, of course, I'll be happy to. Daredevil is one of the Marvel Comics superheroes. Uh, DC and Marvel are the two big publishers, and Daredevil, I'd say, is kind of a B-list Marvel superhero. He's not as big as Wolverine or Spider Man or Captain America. He's one of those guys who's usually in the background and he's more of a low key superhero. He's kind of like a ninja. He's a good fighter. He's a good martial artist. He's an acrobat. But what makes him really interesting are two things. He's blind. So he has a disability that he still is able to, to fight uh, bad guys and uh, be a vigilante despite being blind. And he's also a lawyer in his secret identity. He's one of the few superheroes who is a lawyer His name is Matt Murdock and he's usually portrayed as a defense attorney, a real uh, champion of the people kind of lawyer. And that is interesting because it puts him at odds with uh, defending people in court by day and then technically working outside the law at night, beating people up and uh, doing all his vigilante superhero activities. That dichotomy has always fascinated me about him.
0: Right. So – Daredevil has like reached this incredible new level of popularity as the star of a Netflix TV show or really like almost like streaming serial I guess um yes. but but in your paper you're primarily focusing on the Daredevil comic book character um and of course that's had a really long history and many different iterations so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the history of the Daredevil comic book character um and you know maybe even reflect a little bit on like how it might differ from people's familiarity with Daredevil if they only know him from the
1: television show Oh sure uh, the television show did a really fantastic job in capturing the essence of the character those Marvel productions are usually great that way but Daredevil's been around since 1964 he was a co-creation of Stan Lee, the legendary writer who cre- co-created most of the big Marvel characters people would know. He was always, a, like I said, a lower tier, less popular character. It's kind of a fun-loving vigilante, almost like a ripoff of Spider-Man For uh, throughout the 1960s and 70s. He started out wearing this really ugly yellow and brown costume, but very early on changed to the all red costume most people recognize him in. And he was always just kind of a guy in the background, kind of a forgettable book, kind of a forgettable character, until a writer-artist named Frank Miller took over the Daredevil comic in 1979. And if anybody cares about Daredevil today, I guarantee it's because of Frank Miller and how he wrote him. He took this uh, kind of swashbuckling, silly vigilante and made him into a a really deep, dark, conflicted, almost like a film noir antihero. And he, he made the book a lot darker, a lot more violent, and introduced some adult themes and some really interesting uh, characters and character development that nobody had ever done until then. And he really changed all of the feeling of Marvel Comics with his legendary run writing and drawing Daredevil.
0: Cool, cool. Um, So, so, so maybe you could talk a little bit more sort of about – the moment or the kind of the period in which the character originated sort of how daredevil originally fit into the Marvel Marvel universe. Like what was he intended to symbolize? Cause it seems like so many of those early comic book characters were like intentionally sort of overtly symbolic and sort of how did daredevil's evolution that you describe fit into the broader picture of the evolution of the way that Marvel was thinking about comic book characters and sort of what they were expressing about kind of American social reality.
1: Okay. I think I know where you're going with this. Uh, Well, Spider-Man was always the breakout character. He was a teenager. He was lower middle class. He was the hero who could be you. That's how they advertise him back then in the sixties. And Iron Man was like a wealthy uh, Howard Hughes type, uh, a weapons designer. Daredevil was different because he had a disability. He was blind. And that happened to him from a childhood accident where he was blinded by radioactive chemicals. That's how he got his uh, heightened senses. And he was supposed to be a metaphor for justice being blind because he was blind and he was a lawyer. And Stan Lee's never known for being subtle. So uh, that was the whole... uh, thing with daredevil for the longest time blind justice uh his father had been killed when he was a boy by uh, a mob figure his father was a boxer who refused to throw a fight so the mob guys killed him and that made young matt murrock want to grow up and go to law school and become a lawyer fight the bad guys in the in court because he was blind uh well i mean despite being blind sorry and along the way, he used his heightened senses and his uh, martial arts training, and became a vigilante as well, to fight uh, for uh, against underworld figures a, a different way too. Uh, mostly in the Hell's Kitchen neighborhood of New York. That's pretty nice now, but was actually kind of horrible back then.
0: Mm, mm, mm. I mean, it really is especially interesting. To me that, you know, they sort of really emphasize this sort of lawyer as underdog fighter for the people quality, despite, I think, you know, especially in the 60s, but sort of historically, lawyers kind of being seen as kind of exactly the opposite, right? I mean, it's a really interesting move on on Marvel's part to kind of reconceptualize lawyers in that way.
1: Yeah, because lawyers used to be thought of as the man, you you know, uh, symbols of the status quo. But uh, I think Stan Lee was always really progressive with his politics, and the fact uh, that he wanted a lawyer to be seen as like a champion of the common man, a good guy who would fight hard for people who needed it against uh, slum lords, against uh, violent criminals, especially for somebody who came out of poverty himself, like Matt Murdock did, whose father was murdered and who had a difficult uh, life and a disability and everything else. He wanted uh, Matt to be seen as a crusading lawyer. One of the good kinds of lawyers who uh, was really helping change the country for the better during the sixties, the civil rights movement, Mm -hmm. uh, the feminist movement and all that. He was kind of emblematic of that. The the new young idealistic kind of lawyer who wanted to go out and fight uh, to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's always been true that's always been the way the character has been portrayed ever since.
0: Yeah. You know, and, and like you said, I would think one thing that's really interesting is that, you know, Matt Murdoch, as lawyer rather than daredevil, was sort of, as you know, like typically portrayed, although not exclusively portrayed, as a criminal defense attorney. Um, and at least in some iterations, it seems like he sort of was able to like use his superpowers to know whether his clients were guilty or innocent. But it seems like at least in some of the stories, that sort of guilt, innocence, who deserves rep- representation – etc. was sort of like a, a, a sort of important kind of story point or kind of difficult question within the narrative of the story. Am I, am I right there?
1: Uh, yes. Uh, keep in mind, uh, most of the audience for these comics, especially back then, were non-lawyers and people who've learned about the practice of law through pop culture, through movies and television mostly. So a lot of uh, the legal aspects of the comic were very broadly written, very black and white terms of morality because uh, one of his heightened senses allows uh, him to tell from listening to someone's heartbeat if they're lying or not. He exclusively takes on uh, clients he knows are innocent and he can always tell just from listening and talking to somebody if they're lying or not. So he always feels like he can have the moral high ground as a result that he doesn't have to defend guilty people. Mm -hmm. And he's always been, able to pick and choose his clients and his cases as a result of that, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which would be a great power for any of us to have really.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I really liked and found especially interesting about your paper is the way that you sort of break the daredevil narrative down into like different, kind of episodic chapters based on the writers and artists who were kind of creating the story and, and drawing the characters. I wonder if you could just like briefly reflect on some of those different writers and artists, sort of how they told the story differently, like what they emphasized and how that changed the sort of meaning of the Daredevil character and what he
1: stood for sure uh will do uh, and stop me if this gets boring um i i really skip over a lot of the 60s and 70s stuff because it didn't focus nearly as much on the practice of law and that's what i wanted to focus on so i talked about frank miller's early 80s work which is very seminal because he introduced most of the elements of Daredevil and his supporting cast that we know today um he created he didn't create but he brought in the kingpin who's who was a kind of a lesser known Spider-Man villain who nobody cared much about back then. And he made the Kingpin into a symbol of all the crime and corruption in New York city, this mountain of a man who is physically huge and so wealthy and so well connected and so terrifying that he was essentially above the law. Nobody could touch him. Nobody could do anything to bring him down. So he became a great counterpoint for daredevil. This uh, acrobatic gymnastic, handsome hero who fights uh, as as a lawyer and as a superhero, versus this gigantic, bald, fat, but really uh, muscle bound crime lord, the kingpin, and they became arch enemies back then in the early eighties and pretty much have been ever since. Um, Miller didn't focus as much on the practice of law either, but I had to get that in the paper just to lay out the basics. It. I really focused on 21st century Daredevil comics. Keep in mind the comics have been written by dozens of writers over the decades, but it's mostly one continuing narrative. Um, and then starting in the year 2001, a really prolific writer named Brian Michael Bendis took over writing Daredevil and he really put made some amazing changes to the character, following up on Miller's work. He had Daredevil's secret identity outed So everybody found out or everybody thought that Murdoch was Daredevil, which he was, but then he decided to have Murdoch deny it to go on the offensive and just lie to everybody and say, no, I'm not Daredevil. He sued a newspaper that uh, published his secret identity, and he got in all kinds of trouble with the law himself as a lawyer uh, breaking ethical rules and uh, acting outside the law with his extracurricular nighttime activities. And that was Bendis' biggest change to the character, uh, outing his secret identity and forcing uh, Matt to lie to his friends and to everybody in New York City about who he really was. And that really put him on the defensive. And then Bendis wrote the next writer, Ed Brubaker, into a corner by having his comics end with Daredevil Murdoch uh, being sentenced to prison along with the Kingpin. So that was a huge cliffhanger for the next writer to have to deal with. Then there was another writer, David Hine, who wrote a miniseries called Daredevil Redemption that was kind of loosely based on the West Memphis Three, those uh, three teenagers out of uh, rural Arkansas who were wrongfully accused of murdering a, a child. And that story had Matt Murdock going to the South uh, to represent a small-town teen who had also been accused of killing a kid. And that one didn't have a lot of punching and kicking in costumes. It had more of the... Uh, criminal procedure of Murdoch representing a client and uh, showing readers a little bit more about how the legal system might actually work. The writer, David Hine, who was British did a lot of research into the American legal system and how that worked. So even though it was a slower pace story, it was a really good one for showcasing how good Murdoch is as an attorney and also teaching some lessons about how uh, trials work, how criminal procedure works. Because usually that gets glossed cla- over in any kind of media about lawyers. Usually you just see the exciting, dramatic things. And we all know in real life, those are few and far between.
0: The, the, the big surprise, of course, is the most recent
1: writer, right? Uh, yes. Uh, Charles Soule, who wrote Daredevil for the last few years up until very recently. He is a lawyer himself, a very prominent attorney in New York who also is a musician and an author and a comic book writer. I don't know how he finds the time, but he's amazing. So he really brought a lot of the uh, real life legal aspects into Daredevil. He, he remade Matt Murdock as a, as a prosecutor in New York, kind of starting from the bottom of the system and working his way back up because he had fallen from grace after having his identity exposed and all that. So Murdock gets the big idea to legitimize superheroes being able to testify in court while wearing their costumes and masks without having to reveal their secret identities, which is something that, if you think about in comic books, is kind of a huge issue that nobody ever talks about. Uh, criminals uh, or superheroes can uh, beat up criminals, violate their civil rights, drop them off in front of the police station tied up. And if they don't show up to testify in court, the charges would probably be dropped. And if they do testify, they probably have to prove their identities by unmasking and revealing who they really are, which for somebody like Daredevil or Spider-Man or even Batman would be a huge problem and ruin everything they've always tried to do. So his big plan was to take a case all the way to the Supreme court to uh, legitimize superheroes testifying in court as confidential witnesses. And Charles Soule, this, this writer really went deep into the legal aspects, including what it would take to take a case all the way through the justice system from a, a low-level trial court and appeal it all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, mm. which is kind of the dream for just about any lawyer.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so one thing that that struck me reading your paper was the way in which that kind of secret identity thing is especially salient with respect to the Daredevil character because there's really no dichotomy more absolute than the sort of vigilante Lawyer dichotomy, and like so, how does the story generally deal with that? And and maybe to the extent there are differences, like how does how did some of the different Daredevil writers sort of operationalize that lawyer vigilante dichotomy?
1: Well, uh, most of the early writers never ha- never dealt with it much. It was just a day job, just like uh, Clark Kent is a reporter and Bruce Wayne is a billionaire playboy. They just didn't uh, really worry about that too much. He was a lawyer. It was what he did. And they just had Stanley's blind justice metaphor to, to work with. Bendis in the early 2000s made it more of an issue when uh, Mad Murdock's secret identity was outed and then he was getting sued. He was being threatened that uh, all the clients uh, he put away, all the cases he closed would be invalidated and he might en- and he ended up uh, serving prison time himself as a, as a result of that, then another writer came along named Mark Wade, who's another one of my favorites, and he had Daredevil Murdoch finally admit that, yes, he is Daredevil. And as a result, he was sanctioned and disbarred in the state of New York. But then he moved to California, where he had also been a, a member of the bar and practiced back in the 70s. And he went to California and became an open celebrity, a lawyer who was openly acting as a superhero and out there in celebrity craze california they loved him and they ate it up and he found a new home there with uh, both of his identities out and open in the world so that was a unique way that mark wade dealt with that
0: mm mm, mm. and like in the more recent episodes how has how, how has soul dealt with that kind of lawyer vigilante dichotomy
1: soul uh when Charles Soule's Charles Daredevil started with a new number one issue, so it was all technically a new series, even though it continued on the previous writer's uh, continuity, but he used kind of a DAX Machina plot device to have the world's knowledge of Matt Murdock being Daredevil collectively erased. Everybody forgot. Just except, everyone except Murdock and his best friend and former law partner, Foggy Nelson. Uh, everybody, j- just through comic book machinations and Crazy magic and science. Everybody just forgot, so it gave him a chance to start a new career and a new unknown identity at the at the uh, district attorney's office in Manhattan. So nobody knew he was Daredevil. He was able to just keep doing what he was doing before with the dual identity, but he was dropping the ball a lot at work. He was uh, blowing off shifts. He was leaving colleagues and even his own paralegal picking up a lot of the slack when he'd run off to go fight crime as daredevil. And he was burning a lot of bridges and using up a lot of his goodwill as a result, as a result of that. So it's a good lesson for uh, what lawyers definitely should not do. He was definitely uh, treating his day job as very secondary and important, but along the, sorry. Yeah. But eventually he hatches this plan to, uh, Take this case all the way to the Supreme Court to uh, legitimize costumed masked vigilantes, superheroes testifying, and that made it all worthwhile. And even his boss, the old uh, grizzled District Attorney of New York, gave him the gave him the support and gave him the chance to uh, to do that because it was such a crazy long shot, but he believed in him. And that was, that's almost like the the zenith of like everything Murdoch's ever tried to accomplish in both of his roles both of his identities.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, I mean, like so many other superheroes in these sort of long running stories, there's like a ton of second acts in Matt Murdoch, Daredevil's life. But this shift from defense attorney to prosecutor seems especially interesting. Like how did that, affect the character given those very different roles in relation to the criminal justice
1: system? Um, it, it definitely made him more cynical and it made him doubt what he was doing occasionally. He uh, got assigned to the early case assessment bureau, which is uh, we, it sounded immediately familiar to me while I was reading the comics and it made me think of the old sitcom night court that I loved as a kid in the 80s and early 90s. He got assigned to that low-level nighttime uh, prosecution duty, and he considered it kind of grunt work that was beneath him, given all the experience he had. But because he got this job under uh, kind of mysterious conditions, he was happy to have it and just have his foot back in the door. And then he'd just blow it off regardless and leave his colleagues and his paralegal holding the bag and covering his cases with little reception. (laughs) So uh, he knew he needed a, vi- a big win just to cement uh, his uh, return to uh, be- to being unknown and being able to practice law again. And that's how he bet everything on uh, taking this case all the way to the Supreme Court. He's always, been, he's always been a really good attorney. He's brilliant. He's kind. He's compassionate. But he cuts corners and he uh, takes really unnecessary risks sometimes. Because he is the man without fear. That's kind of his epithet. But I, he definitely uh, gets into some ethically gray areas that lawyers should never travel into. And I made sure to note that throughout my article, that even though he's one of the good guys, and even though he's an excellent lawyer, he also does things that no real life attorney should ever do.
0: Right. So this is one of the things that I thought was like, as a law professor, especially like cool about your paper, because, you know, you really highlight some of these sort of teaching moments throughout the story. I I wonder if you could highlight a few of, of your favorites of those, because, you know, I'm a, I I just started teaching professional responsibility last year, and I am so totally going to like integrate some of this into my class
1: oh that really that's fantastic that's so awesome i i you honor me and I hope uh it doesn't end up disappointing um there is one as there's one scene in one of the mark Wade issues where he's threatened by some criminals by these undercover terrorists and I'm quoting from one of the comics that I quoted in my paper and they say uh, Daredevil's methods and weaknesses will be loudly made public to every criminal on earth Mad Murdock gets disbarred for ethics violations. Your law firm shuts its doors. Your employees get set adrift. The information you'll need on the case has already been sent to your office. The court convenes in 13 hours. See you there. So they're extorting him now with his worst fear that they're going to expose him. But that's when he ends up at the in the middle of Mark Wade's uh, run of comics. That's when he finally uh, very bravely and heroically admits that yes he is daredevil yes he's been living this double life yes he occasionally has to work outside the law but uh he does it because these criminals blackmail him and he ends up having to defend somebody who he knows is innocent anyway so that's kind of like a huge moment of change and catharsis for the character where he's Mm. even we as the readers have been getting annoyed with him over time he keeps lying he keeps doing morally ambiguous things and when he finally reveals his secret and gets disbarred, we uh, we realize he's got the moral high ground again. We start rooting for him again. This self sacrificing move is really uh, what gets him back into our good graces.
0: Mm, mm, mm. Are there are there other moments where you feel like sort of Legal rules, or especially like ethical rules, play an important uh, an important role in sort of advancing the narrative. Or the uh, the writers are using ethical principles or ethical questions about what lawyers should and shouldn't be doing, especially in this sort of lawyer vigilante dichotomy. In terms of kind of driving the story forward, and also educating readers to some degree about kind of what lawyers do and why they do it.
1: A great example for that would be the, the David Hines story, daredevil redemption where uh, this, this poor kid has been railroaded by the justice system in this uh, small Southern town. And he's talking about uh, how the, the issue shows the trial taking place over a few weeks and Murdoch says it's some narration. So he's a- essentially talking to the reader and, using a teaching moment. He talks about using up the peremptory challenges and the four cause challenges. And, but even though they did their best to whittle down a panel of over 200 jurors to the 12 most honest people available, he knows they've been reading about the defendants in the newspaper and every one of them has come to court believing that uh, the, the kid, his client has killed, has killed that boy. And, th- and then that story takes you through all the opening statements, the direct and cross-examinations the objections, the sidebars. And when he meets with his own client who wants to testify on his own behalf and Murdoch warns him, it's a really bad idea because once you're up there under cross-examination, they can ask him anything. Then the kid testifies anyway and doesn't go well and his client is sentenced to death. And that's hard. I mean, that's a a huge loss, obviously, for any attorney. But it's really good in demonstrating to the reader like how hard a lawyer has to work and that they don't always win no matter what, despite their best intentions, even in Mm. comic books, they don't always win. So I thought that, Mm. that was an interesting lesson and one of the better uh, detailed and well researched uh, storylines.
0: So Lewis, you're clearly like a daredevil super fan who knows the story and follows the story more closely than anyone else. I know
1: I I'm sitting at home right now looking up at my collection of daredevil action figures. Yeah. Yes, I am. So, so I wonder like, do you
0: have any suggestions for the writers? Right. In other words, you know, like, it clearly seems like they're thinking about the sort of daredevil as lawyer quality of the character now in a way that historically they hadn't. And I wonder if you have any thoughts about like where they might go, things they might think about, um, ideas or storylines they might productively introduce to the Daredevil narrative.
1: Wow. Uh, well, that there's a reason they're writing the comics and I'm not because they they usually do an amazing job. After my paper came out, or after I finished writing it, I should say Charles Soule continued his uh, run where he had the Kingpin Wilson Fisk become the mayor of New York, who is. Holy and totally corrupt. And that turned into a whole thing. And then Fisk almost got assassinated by a ninja clan. And then Mad Murdock, who was serving as his deputy mayor, stepped up to become the mayor. So that was kind of a huge moment that nobody saw coming. And that all came out after I finished writing my article. So I didn't get to, to comment on it. And now there's a new writer named Chip Zdarsky. I haven't read his stuff yet, but I'm sure it's amazing because he's generally great. And I don't even know where he's taking the character from here or how much of the legal aspects he's going into. I'd have to imagine less than Charles Soule did because Soule being an attorney himself and Starsky isn't, but whatever they do next, I'm on board. Daredevil is my favorite Marvel superhero. And he's always been interesting and he's always had great writers pretty much at least since the early eighties and whatever they do next, I'm definitely going to be on board as a fan and hopefully trying to figure out some teaching moments I can impart to my own students as well.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, Lewis, it's been such a pleasure talking to you about Daredevil today.
1: Nobody has ever said that to me before, so thank you. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back
0: and like read the comic books and rewatch the Netflix series myself because I too am a huge fan.
1: Oh, uh, that's it's good to meet another uh the after I finished my article where I talked about comparisons between the comic and the show the show got canceled which i was not expecting because it was fantastic but there's three seasons out there and they're quite good so i do recommend them as well
0: Mm, mm, mm. all right well i hope to i hope to talk to you soon thanks lewis
1: hey thank you so much i appreciate this
0: Presley's got a song about the devil in disguise. You know Elvis wore a cross, a star of David, and the Hebrew letter Chai. He explained his jewelry habit by saying I don't want to miss out on heaven due to a technicality. You look
1: like an angel angel. Walk like an angel Talk like an angel, but I got wise. You're the devil in disguise, for oh, yes you
0: are, devil in disguise.
1: An Look like, an like an angel, walk
0: like an angel, talk like an angel, but walk I got. Like my
1: like an angel
0: but... number three in 1963. The most requested photo from the National Archives is the shot of Elvis offering his services as a drug enforcement agent to President Richard Nixon. I wouldn't trust either of them.